Hello everyone, welcome back to a podcast of one's own. We are back. Finally, after a little break, we are going to be blending a couple of sessions together in a sort of, yeah, roundup fashion um, as it is getting closer to deadlines and term breaks, etc. All of us are pretty tired and pretty busy and trying to keep on top of living, working, studying, surviving, I think it's safe to say. I'm not the only one. I'd be kind of crap if I was. Um, so yeah, before we go into the topics today, let's do a little well-being check-in. How are we all doing? Um, I'll go first. <laughs> speaking. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I've been very stressed this week, you know, with deadlines and waiting for people to get back to me before I can do the next thing and you know you're in limbo but you're stressed about it and yeah that's been my mood this week but it's getting better and I feel like it can probably be quite a nice weekend and I'm excited about recording the podcast so it's all good. Sweet. Aurora how are you? Um, I'm all right. Um, yeah I mean it's pretty much, pretty much similar here. I mean just your unique stress. <laughs> One thing after the other, it's gone as project, master's application, that kind of stuff. So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> all, all pain is temporary. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for March to be over. I'm just sitting here like, when is March over? <laughs> yeah, the better weather's coming, summer will come, and this yeah. will all be a distant memory. <laughs> <laughs> Callum, how are you getting on? Uh, I say keyword is stress like everyone else. <laughs> Uh, but you know, deadlines for a while now, so can actually uh, relax <laughs> for now. For now, yeah, hold on to that feeling. <laughs> You'll need save, it. savor it. <laughs> yeah, savor it. Feel like ah, oh, I miss that. It's like when you have a sore throat or a cold, like poor Aurora here, not COVID. You kind of like forget how good it is to breathe and oh yeah, oh that's that's a good feeling. That's like this whole past year. Yeah, once it's how nice it feels to wow. not live in a pandemic. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, so yeah, on with the podcast. I was gonna say it's kind of a shame we haven't been able to dedicate at least like one episode a week, probably, to our topics. You could split it down so much because they are so interesting and in depth, but we also need to acknowledge our own priorities and lives. Um and also for content's sake, it might be kind of fun to try a wrap up sort of format, quick speed thing. I might regret that when I'm editing later, but we'll see. Um, so today we'll be wrapping up points, wrapping up points from one of our LGBT history month sessions, as well as our recent masculinity and mental health session, which might have been one of my favorite sessions of femsoc history and gensoc history. It was just, it's just a topic that I love researching at uni and uh, we'll probably keep going into my master's, masculinity studies that is. Mm. So at the end of February, um, Calum and I and LawSOC, which is Edinburgh Napier Law Society, came together to talk about LGBT history and the law, which was very informative. And we tried as much as possible to make the facts and examples quite local because we felt that the more generalized you go with that information um, when you start pushing it to the UK wide or um, European wide, 
there's a risk it gets lost and people don't feel as connected to it, etc. Whereas if it's happening on your doorstep or where you're staying for your studies, you can really relate to it. So, for example, I like recent researching into Scotland's queer history and the super close links that it had to Napier's campus. We spoke about uh, the Craig Lockhart War Hospital, which is now Craig Lockhart campus, the big egg thing. Um, and how that hospital housed a number of brilliant poets who whose works, I mean, carry such beautiful influence still to this day. And it's also really interesting to, uh, to look at the representation in a sort of, through a sort of LGBT lens. So if you can cast your mind back that long, uh, was there anything that stood out for you? Um, I think, you know, what you touched upon just there about um, the art and the poetry that was, you know, the writing, I found that to be really interesting. That's a part of um, sort of the erasure of queer history that I'm really interested in, that I find is sometimes overlooked when we, we talk a lot about um, legislation and um, and gatekeeping in, in, in communal uh, spaces but I think in the art scene as well the fact that there's so much there's been so much censorship in art which is meant to be like free expression uh, of queer artists I think is uh, super that that was really interesting especially to see some examples of that of what what type of uh, queer poetry and content is was um, censored and and erased uh, I'd say uh, from what I remember that I found quite shocking is I can't remember his name but I believe it was a, like a doctor for the army or something like that and how yeah, yeah Dr James Barry who was a medical doctor at Edinburgh University originally from Cork I believe um, was dismissed basically post-death from the British army upon the realisation that he was actually trans and how the army kind of scrubbed him from all history and just kind of tried to erase him. Aurora, did you? Um, I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Um, I, I mean, I, I thought, I thought that was the most interesting, interesting. Oh my god, part about that as well. I mean, I admittedly get a little bit lost in the law side of things. <laughs> um, so it's interesting when I listen to it at the moment, but then I admit. I have forgotten all of them again so <laughs> um <clears throat> but I do think like when you think about like the history back it kind of sticks with you because you're like obviously I mean we know LGBT people that existed it's so interesting because they were raised so much so it's interesting when it comes up and you're like hey wow listen this well because yeah mm -hmm. as I said like erased so much I was quite surprised sorry Oh, sorry. I thought it was I... great um, when you brought, like, when, when you went through the history, like, I really enjoyed that it was local, but you took it so far back as well, like, down to the 1600s, and, you know, um, like, Mary, Queen of Scots, or, well, it was her son, yeah. uh, that was um, apparently what it seemed to uh, prefer the company of men, Um I thought that was really interesting how you went through a long timeline um, and even back there it is there that we can see the, the censoring of that history because it's not really talked about. Mm -hmm. I was going to say if you br take the law 
of it and censoring put those topics together you can look at ways in which that still happens today because you have people saying like well Scotland was really great because we legalized or wanted to legalize same-sex marriage in 2014 but we weren't allowed to until 2015 but actually it took us so long to decriminalize uh, same-sex relationships and things like that so it's like you're jumping on these maybe certain points in history or these really important important facts which are fantastic and really although oh. very very late um but it's almost used to distract people from the history and I think that's just like a cultural uh, British thing that happens quite a lot where you you're very um picky and choosy about what we put out to the world and to our own people as well but yeah I mean I think uh you brought up as well I mean the recent sort of um changes that are relevant to us in Scotland that, that Scotland has become the first country to introduce LGBTQI inclusive education in the cu curriculum that is obviously amazing uh, but then you also you know there's there's always that that extra byline that it's long overdue which is a little bit bittersweet but it's it's great I mean mm. I think one of the most like emotional things that has ever happened in like the modern parliament was in 2015 I think the first minister gave like an official pardon to all the men who had been imprisoned or uh, like arrested and things for having same-sex relationships like that was a very public thing to do and again that was publicized like oh look we did this and we came out okay yeah we did that quite up till recently and it was really awful but we were the first people to come out and apologize so it's it's quite sad how how these how our lives are politicized in a way and um yeah it's like we just want our rights and they're like not without some good media coverage for our politicians yeah wait for that <laughs> yeah. one of the things that i quite find interesting was like you know often the people in scotland like try to say like much more progressive than UK when it comes to kind of like LGBT rights, but when it mm. comes to like hate crime rates, the uh, Scotland is kind of like same as the rest of the UK, like not the lowest, not the highest, but it's kind of like bang average. So yeah, maybe some laws are a lot more equal, but when it comes to like society and like the treatment of mm -hmm. LGBT people, it's like not not that much to brag about. Yeah, we're we're gonna come on to this, but I think out of the four countries in the UK we have one of the most toxic and like deep-rooted awful culture um out of the rest of us we're progressed a hell of a lot further maybe than others or we seem to have but it's just so yeah like deep yeah, we're talking you were talking about um sort of the um Scottish cringe yeah actually um, that whole thing that is uh, something you've talked about we mentioned it before as well or i think we talked about it last term but i think it's a very important perspective to have like understanding that the cultural history and background and what's shaped people into feeling so strongly about these things and having um yeah acting out in toxic ways mm -hmm. or harmful ways um, yeah so what i like researching is the 
the hypermasculine sort of trope bring let's bring it back to like masculinity and things so like the hypermasculine macho trope or representation of Scottish men and during the presentation I put up pictures of like ground scraper Willie from the Simpsons and like really bulky bra men in kilts and things uh, and those are like the sort of kitschy images that we sell out but actually they say quite a lot about our culture and how we view ourselves so um, I mean like hyper masculine tropes of men go a lot further in a lot of ways outside of Scotland but specifically when I research Scotland or living in Scotland I think that masculinity or masculine identity works so closely with our nationalism and national identity and um, like whatever's normal in our society to uphold a number of the stereotypes and really toxic images and like Esther was saying I use I like to theorize this Scottish cultural cringe um, that our tie with masculinity is so strong because masculinity is seen as something to aspire to be it's like the the superior sort of state of being um, and especially if you're subordinated in some way so, so Scotland feels that like cultural and yet political cr cringe as well it feels like it has to make up for it in comparison to um, the rest of the UK or England specifically and these con the concept of subordinate and like superior masculinities are really important to consider when you start to break down masculinities of queer men, black men, disabled men, etc. The masculinity that a, an able-bodied, cisgender, heterosexual uh, white man, that masculinity that he feels is not going to be possible for a black, disabled or trans man. You know, it's, and even although it's obvious that that person will not be able to be that super hyper hegemonic uh, masculine person they're, they're still going to have to go through life living through that in a sort of subordinated way masculine. it's hard because it's so ingrained like it's obviously like you want to respect the cultural history of, of any of every like all places but but when it becomes like when it overflows anyway mm. so you spoke Callum spoke about toxic masculinity and the sort of like umbrella term that kind of spreads over everything do you you want to talk about how because how, it essentially affects everyone but also it favors some people I, mean, I wasn't in the session but um I think it's it's a nice uh, sort of transition into that topic because it obviously contributes like this trope in macho culture having these expectations of men to not have any not um, exhibit any typically feminine traits, which would then be, you know, classed as being emotional or being sensitive, empathetic, uh, nurturing, caring, all these things that are designated to be typically female or feminine. Uh, well, it, it obviously limits and it damages young young men and old, like older men as well, of course. But when when social conditioning is that like that forcing sort of suppressing the emotional aspects uh, of of young boys that then grow up to perpetuate this macho culture yeah i feel like it affects uh, sort of everyone really because it like affects like men themselves like a kind of 
affecting like other men and like uh the men themselves and also like other women just kind of so yeah. like yeah and especially like around so like like violence and like like violent to other men obviously that can like be violent to women and then like violent themselves in the sense of like you know not taking care of themselves so and like when, there's so much awful statistics like so many awful statistics about um uh, mental health in in men like suicide we know that suicide is what the leading cause of death for men under the age of 45 i think it uh, is. Like, yeah 45 50 around there yeah uh which is devastating and obviously then related to the fact that we we don't have society that supports the emotional um emotional health of of our men and boys but all, but and that, that that obviously clearly has an effect on on male population but then then women will be on the receiving end of those of men acting out on that as well and trying to uphold it. from the slides where you talked about like um, incarcerated men and the sort of massive influx of that and those men having mental illness, mental health issues, issues with addiction and uh, rough sleeping and I watched a few videos kind of around that and a lot of people, mainly in the comments, and I know YouTube comments aren't good but I think it gives you a flavour of an awful side of society um, they say like, oh the men just don't want to ask for help men get more help anyway or, you know, the women are the real um, victims here, no matter what. So why don't the men just ask for more help? So, yeah, can we, like, just break that apart? <laughs> I hate that. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and anyone else jump in if you have anything to say. But um, I, feel like I think it's just a flip coin of when you talk, when you look at, like, different professional sectors and people say, oh, yeah, so it's not an even gender distribution, but it's just because women don't want to do that. Women just don't choose that. And I think it's it's um, simplifying it to the point of where we're missing really really important root causes to just to dismiss it as a choice that oh no they just choose to not ask for help. Well, they've been also been conditioned their entire lives that they will be seen as weak and they will be uh, they will not be supported if they ask for help. They'll be ridiculed. It'll, it'll be worse if they ask for help. Uh, I, so I think that's a unfortunate and and shallow uh, perspective to have on the problem. Even though it's true that women also suffer from this very problem, uh, it doesn't mean it's as simple as that. I think. Yeah, yeah I'd say it's probably the same people who comment that who would then be like, eh, "Why are you crying? You're weak." Because it's a, it's such a one-sided perspective. Because. I mean, I mean, I think that's the, you notice there how like um, toxic masculinity has like like harms everyone. Boomerangs back again um, because um, I mean, I, if the, if the women commenting that um, they've probably because they've been I don't know affected or hurt by toxic masculinity, so now they're lashing out at toxic masculinity at the men who are actually also victims of toxic masculinity. So it kind of is this like endless loop. You'll get some individuals breaking it, but because the whole of society doesn't do that yet um it's just a very toxic loop as well yeah i think it's tied as well to it it's like this this view on um acting in a way that's perceived as feminine is it's obviously very related to the way that people view 
um, the LGBT community and the way that this affects obviously queer people and uh, homosexual men that that can can often as compared to heterosexual men present in more feminine ways and uh, th that that becomes something not seen as respectable so I think there's there are many intersections between you know it's so difficult to talk about these topics without talking about the others because it's all sort of rooted in this idea that femininity is something weak uh, and if we could resolve that then we would then we would solve the problem of toxic masculinity and so how do we teach the younger generations or I mean we need to teach everyone but for an example if you could speak to like your younger brother if you have one or pretend you have one how would you help them sort of go away from maybe society's pushing of toxic masculinity I would all I would first think just try and break that idea that boys don't cry it's very mm. very simple but I always seen it growing up my little brother was wasn't allowed to cry wasn't allowed to kind of show emotion yeah. and now he has anger issues and so it obviously doesn't help <laughs> but yeah. I definitely agree yeah I think it's especially with small kids it's difficult to to explain this theoretically to them I think it's more important to let them be their whole selves and make sure that you're not reacting in in a way that they will then associate with something negative and then as they grow older you can start bringing the theory into it and the fact that you know like but but just especially when kids are young you know just allowing them to be their whole emotional selves develop their emotional sensitivity I think is really important yeah I'd, I'd say it's, it's really like just starting from like very young I'd say is probably the the best way to do that um and just trying to ex I mean obviously I'm not going too much into theory because you're, a child's not going to get that um but just every time something happens you just sit in the middle and I'm like listen this and this and this or that's why we don't do it this is why it's okay to do this or you know those kind of things probably I mean the tricky part is probably just because everyone if, if everyone else around you doesn't do that you're going to have that one child stuck in this position of but everyone else does it so I think there's probably really it's probably really important as well to have it in education itself and not just from the parents side because as much as parents do if you've got the whole education system against you it's it's, it's gonna work but it's not gonna work as well um so I'd say it's probably really important even just from like beginning of like kindergarten primary school to start teaching children that you know boys can't cry those kind of things like don't do that do this like this is fine those kind of things um Yes, I don't know how what to do about older people because they're, it's it's so hard to unlearn behaviors once you have them. So I think it's probably just like try and explain it and then um, probably try and person like relate it to them person on some personal level because I think that's the way most people will at least somewhat respond. I think as well for for any like men that are involved in kids in kids childhoods like it's so important to have role models. So if and like you're saying it's different it's more difficult when you've already grown up and you've already got that conditioning and you've already got those barriers even if you're aware of them it can still be difficult to challenge them but I think it's really important that that adult men step up and show young boys that it's okay that they're not just telling them that it's okay to show emotion they're also doing it themselves so like young boys being able to see their dads being emotional super important because kids 
they they learn from observing as well we could go on with this for years and years and just try and like save humanity but i don't think we have the time or the headspace (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i want to thank you all for this thank you callum for that uh, amazing masculinity talk and Lawsock and everyone else for pretty much everyone who's just been involved in FemSock up until this moment it's been it's been a ride I say that as if we're leaving not yet <laughs> <laughs> not yet oh uh, yeah to get thank you for having us for this episode yeah, thank yeah. You. It's, it's fun um it's going to be an absolute trip to edit yeah <laughs> um so yeah we'll just wrap up here thank you all for listening if you want to comment or share whatever we do get involved you can message us on facebook twitter instagram we are just at femsock napier all there um our next session will probably be kind of mental health related as well but just Mm -hmm. check out our social media channels and you will find it there whenever it comes out so till then Stay safe, take care, wear your mask, don't talk to strangers. I don't know what else to say. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye.